Welcome to Whatever the Case, Stryker's official ASC podcast, which features interviews with leading experts in the ASC space, focused on the clinical, operational, and financial considerations that go into ASC ownership. We hope to bring you valuable perspectives and insights to enhance your understanding of the ASC market, because whatever the case, we've got you covered. Today, we are so glad to be joined by Dr. Alyssa Hammond. Dr. Hammond is a board-certified anesthesiologist who works with many different ASCs in the Denver area. She has been featured in Outpatient Surgery Magazine, where she discussed how total joint procedures in the ASC require a total team effort. And as an anesthesia provider who works exclusively in ASCs, she is here to talk to us today about the environment of anesthesia in the ASC. Welcome, Dr. Hammond. Hi, Dana. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're really excited to talk today. And before we get started, would you just mind introducing yourself and giving us um, a little background? Absolutely. Um, so I um, completed medical school at the University of Colorado. I then went and did my anesthesia residency at Stanford. I've now been in private practice for about 14 years. So when I was a resident, I was very lucky to learn regional anesthesia using ultrasound techniques, so ultrasound guidance. That was pretty new when I was training. And what that ended up leading to is me developing an interest in regional anesthesia and opioid sparing anesthesia, and especially working um, with a lot of orthopedic surgeons. So for the first number of years of private practice, I worked in a hospital setting where I would do hospital cases. I would also, you know, maybe about a quarter of the time also work in ambulatory surgery centers. And over the years that began to pique my interest towards ambulatory anesthesia in general. So about two years ago, I moved exclusively to the ASC setting and I continue to have an interest in refining how we can provide excellent care that is both safe and efficient in the ambulatory setting, especially as we start seeing more high high acuity cases in the ambulatory setting, as well as older, sicker patients in our outpatient settings. All right. Well, thank you so much for the background. And again, thank you for taking time to discuss the topic today. Um, so anyone who keeps up with the ASC industry and news has probably seen headlines discussing anesthesia shortages or that the demand for anesthesiologists due to procedural migrations to the ASC is just simply not matching the number of providers out there. So can you comment on these perceived shortages and really just share your perspective on why ASCs may be struggling to get anesthesia coverage? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are two big issues at play with ASCs. So the first, like you mentioned, there is a real shortage of anesthesiologists. Um, we, it may be more evident in certain communities than others, such as rural settings. However, the anesthesia shortage, it does mirror the physician shortage as a whole. Most projections say that the shortage of anesthesiologists will continue to get worse um, in the coming years. It's definitely a complex problem. There's many reasons behind it. Um, there's a number of older anesthesiologists over the age of 55 that are nearing retirement. A number did re retire early, secondary to the COVID-19 pandemic. There appears to not be enough residency positions. And as our population is aging, there's an increase in needed surgical procedures. 
So the bottom line is that there's all this demand that continues to increase and our supply is lagging behind. So again, and you're going to see that hospital settings, ASCs, anywhere where there's surgical procedures happening. The second that will affect ASCs more is that the reality of the anesthesia market is that the price of anesthesia services, which is basically provider compensation, is held in check by government policy. So Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement rates for anesthesia services have declined steadily for nearly a decade. Commercial reimbursement is generally better, but it has followed the same pattern of rejections. So when we're working in hospital settings, hospitals often have the ability to make up um, the balance by providing other incentives, things like anesthesia stipends for services that the hospital is able to offer, the most common being OB, so obstetric coverage, as well as trauma, um, trauma anesthesia coverage. And so in a setting like an ASC, where anesthesiologists bill independently, and the ASC isn't able to offer things like OB and trauma care, the reimbursement along with um, OR inefficiencies can make the ASC setting somewhat challenging financially for anesthesiologists to be able to cover. So those two things I think really play together and that can be why we're seeing why some ASCs are having a harder time finding anesthesia coverage for their increase in cases. Mm-hmm. That's um, those are both really interesting perspectives. Certainly, you know the aging population of anesthesiologists who are retiring, and obviously, you know, just not enough new providers entering the workforce. Um, and as we know, with anesthesia and other, um, you know, procedures, reimbursements certainly um, have been declining. So definitely makes sense. And this dovetails nicely into kind of our next topic, where I'm going to ask you to kind of explore the different anesthesia models that exist. So if I were to be getting ready to open a new ASC, what are some of the different options available to me from a coverage perspective? And can you highlight some of the pros and cons that, that may exist within each of those models? Sure. So in an ASC, um, maybe the most straightforward model would be to have your anesthesia team as employed providers. So that would, the big pro of that is you could have the same small group of anesthesiologists working at your ASC. Um, Scheduling and anesthesia coverage would basically be controlled by the ASC administration. Um, But obviously the big downside of that is the anesthesia costs, such as compensation and billing, would come out of the ASC. They wouldn't, those providers would not be responsible for their own billing and their own um, their own compensation. Um, the other big model would be having independent anesthesia coverage at your ASC. And I think that can be an open or a closed system. So in an open setup, you could have anesthesi- anesthesiologists from many different groups coming to your center versus in a closed center, you would have maybe one anesthesia group that had an exclusive contract for coverage at your ASC. Um, It's pretty well known that surgeons and anesthesiologists work together a ton and they do develop relationships, they develop trust. There's actually a good amount of evidence that having a consistent care team can really improve patient care and improve patient outcomes. So when a new surgeon is looking to come to a new ASC, knowing that they can bring part of their care team, like their anesthesiologist can be a big pro for them. Um, 
So, and then also having independent anesthesia coverage, the ASC would not be, um, they, the ASC would not have to cover the anesthesia costs of things like billing and compensation. The big downside of having um, outside anesthesia coverage coming into the ASC is that it, it can definitely lead to more inefficiencies in the scheduling. So you might have one anesthesiologist coming to cover only a couple of cases with a surgeon and then another surgeon's coming into the same operating room later and there's a different group coming to cover that. So that can end up leading to more delays. Um, there can be competition between the anesthesia groups. And sometimes it just comes down to that certain anesthesia crew groups might even have to decline coverage for certain ASC cases just due to the scheduling inefficiency and it just unfortunately not being worth the time investment that they need to be available at that ASC. Okay, great. So thank you so much for highlighting those different models and, you know, despite the shortages that exist and kind of this overall climate or environment of anesthesia, um, it's good to know that there are many different models out there to hopefully help ASCs piece together coverage, um, which we know will also vary market to market. Okay, so we're going to shift gears and talk a little bit more now about the clinical aspects of anesthesia. And if we discuss planning for anesthesia in a new center, Dr. Hammond, can you also talk about some of the capital and equipment needs that are needed at an ASC, especially as we think about moving, you know, more and more higher acuity cases um, where a variety of anesthesia types may be used? Absolutely. Um, so there's some obvious things that I think most people think of when thinking about um, opening a new ASC and what the anesthesia team would need. So things like an anesthesia machine, an anesthesia cart, um, but then there are some things that I think can often be overlooked um, by surgeons and administrators when thinking about opening a new center. Um, the first would be things that we need for emergency situations. So anytime we're performing anesthesia, especially general anesthesia, and especially these higher acuity surgical cases, there is the um, possibility of patient complications, of adverse events, and we want to be prepared in an ambulatory setting because we don't have the rest of the hospital to fall back on. So the first thing that comes to mind is a code cart. So a code cart is going to be a specific, it's an actual physical cart usually, that could be used for any patient experiencing an emergency. So that could be something from a cardiac arrest or um, uh, cardiac arrhythmia in the operating room. So it could be used in the operating room, it could be used in the recovery area. And that is going to have the medications and things like a defibrillator that could be needed to treat and stabilize patients in an emergency situation, where then they would be transferred to the hospital emergently. Um, another, um, something else that often can be overlooked is something um, is the ability to be able to treat an episode of something called malignant hyperthermia. So malignant hyperthermia, or MH, is often when people talk about a, an allergy to anesthesia, that might be what they're referring to. It's thankfully very rare. Um, MH can happen in about one in 500,000 patients undergoing ambulatory surgery. So it is very rare. But if it does occur, it can be very serious and it can be fatal. So the anesthesia medications that MH that can trigger an MH episode are anesthesia gases. And so those are used very, very commonly um, with general anesthesia. 
and also a muscle paralytic called succinylcholine. And that's often used very commonly in the outpatient setting. So anytime an ambulatory center has anesthesia gases or succinylcholine, they're required to be able to treat um, an MH crisis. So any ambulatory center has to have the ability to recognize and treat MH. They have to have dantrolene readily um, available. We also recommend having an MH cart, which would be an actual cart that's stocked with the drugs and equipment needed for the management of an MH episode, um, as well as cognitive aids and staff education on how to diagnose and treat an episode. And usually that even, um, we recommend running um, a mock, like a, um, a mock MH drill at least once a year, if not more, for the entire operating room staff. I also recommend having a difficult airway cart Anytime um, we are managing patient airways, which is a very common part of especially general anesthesia, there is the risk of running into an unanticipated difficult airway and having the equipment and the staff education to be able to deal with a difficult airway is also very important at an ambulatory center. Um, sometimes those patients will end up needing to be transferred to a higher level of care, but with prompt recognition and treatment, hopefully um, you can be able to prevent that outcome. Lastly, um, we're seeing, continuing to see a lot of issues with anesthesia drug shortages. We're seeing that in all settings. Um, however, in the hospital, we oftentimes have a central pharmacy to fall back on. If certain medications aren't available um, that are needed for um, a case, usually the hospital pharmacy, um, there's a dedicated pharmacy, there's dedicated pharmacists, who are there to keep track of these drug shortages and to let the operating room know. Um, and they're also very helpful in helping in helping to find um, alternative medications. In an ASC, we don't have a pharmacy, we don't have a pharmacist usually to fall back on, and we don't have a huge supply of extra medications. So you want to have a plan in place to be able to deal with these drug shortages, to know what, what medications are currently um, backordered to knowing which medications there are there is concern for that happening in the future and this can be an issue of patient safety and it can also be an issue of needing to even cancel elective cases if the anesthesiologists don't have the medications they need to safely um, perform anesthesia for a surgical case Okay. Those are a lot of a lot of things to consider and keep in mind. Um, certainly when opening an ASC and, and definitely if you are not an anesthesiologist and, and not as familiar, um, it's certainly super helpful to know what ASCs need to have in order to be able to ensure that safe patient experience in the ASC and, and how they can kind of prepare for those never events. So we'll talk about one final thing, and that's the increasing role of anesthesia in the care continuum for ASC patients as higher acuity cases are more of the norm. So what role does anesthesia play in patient selection for these cases, and how can anesthesia teams and surgeons work together to ensure a successful outcome? Yeah, I think the underlying theme that's most important when um, working in an ASC is just to have excellent communications, communication between surgeons, anesthesiologists, the um, administration, and the nursing staff. So our goal is to keep patients safe and also to optimize ASC efficiency. Um, a lot of this is going to come back to patient selection, like you mentioned. 
as we move to being able to do higher surgical acuity cases in an ASC, that doesn't always mean that those patients are appropriate to be in an outpatient setting. So that's where patient selection is going to come into play. The biggest issue with patient selection is making sure patients are safe. We don't want to have any adverse events, any bad outcomes, and we only want to take care of patients safely. Um, as outpatients, we want to avoid things like transfers to hospitals or unanticipated um, admissions after discharge from our ASCs. That can lead to a number of different delays. That There can be delays in pre-op with getting the patient ready and possibly even having to cancel a patient um, to need, that maybe needs to be cared for at the hospital. So we really want to catch those patients before they come through the door. Um, in the OR, there can that can also cause inefficiencies if and that can be from an anesthesia perspective and a surgical perspective. If a patient is sicker and just harder to care for intraoperatively. And then another big one is the PACU, so the recovery area. Um, patients, even if they do well preoperatively and in the OR, the goal in an ambulatory setting is really to have patients out the door within about an hour or two. The longer we have patients sitting in the PACU, that's going to cause kind of a bottleneck throughout the entire center. So I, there are a number of different things to keep in mind when selecting which patients are appropriate for the center. So I think the main thing to stress is it's not just, can we do that type of surgery? It's, can that patient have that type of surgery safely? And can we also move that patient efficiently through the center? So we're able to continue with the rest of the scheduled day. Um, having guidelines is another important screening tool. There are a number of guidelines available for anesthesia in an ambulatory setting. Um, common ones we see, there can be BMI cutoffs, so looking at obese, morbidly obese, super morbid obesity in an ambulatory setting, um, OSA or sleep apnea screening. Um, there's guidelines around postoperative nausea vomiting, um, guidelines around opioid sparing anesthesia techniques. And so guidelines are great, and we highly recommend that a center has those guidelines. But there's always going to be things that slip through the cracks. So again, that comes back to having surgeon and staff education about what's safe and not safe, and then having very open communication between the surgical team and the anesthesia team. Because again, we want to prevent adverse events, we want to be an efficient center, and we want to prevent things like same-day cancellations. Um, last thing I'll mention is utilizing ERAS protocols. So for those who aren't familiar, ERAS is Enhanced Recovery After Surgery. It's a set of protocols used by the OR team to help ensure that a patient has the best possible outcome from their surgery. So it, these protocols involve coordination of the pre-op, inter-op, and post-op team. It's going to involve nursing, surgeons, anesthesia teams. And having these protocols and a very consistent approach to to specific cases and specific surgeons is only going to help improve patient safety, patient outcomes, and again, efficiency in moving patients through the ASC. Thank you so much, Dr. Hammond. We know that patients enjoy having surgery in ASCs and getting home same day. We just need to be able to do it safely and efficiently. And no matter what anesthesia model an ASC chooses to employ, you've done a really great job highlighting the importance of proactive communication, collaboration among surgeons, administrators, and anesthesia teams, and have highlighted how anesthesia teams are really prepared to support the growing shift of surgical procedures to ASCs. Thank you so much for having me. 
And I really look forward to seeing how ambulatory anesthesia and ASCs continue to evolve in our healthcare market. Dr. Alyssa Hammond is a paid consultant of Stryker. Her viewpoints expressed in this podcast are her own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Stryker. To learn more about Stryker's ASC business, visit www.stryker.com ASC.